Hi, we're not home right now. Please leave a message after the tone and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. Hi, it's me. Sorry to call. I know I shouldn't. I didn't like how we left things. That's not how I wanted things to end. Close on a sleeping woman as her eyes shoot open. Blue TV light burned onto her dilating pupils. The woman, early 40s, dark hair, leaps up from the couch in her nightgown and snatches the phone receiver from the side table. What are you doing? You know never to call the house. I thought he's out of town. What if my daughter was home? Never call the house. How'd you even get this number? Phone book? I'm sorry, it was dumb. It's just... I left my jacket at your place earlier. That was stupid. I know. I'm sorry. It's fine. I'll get it back to you when I can. That's not why I'm letting you know. Where is it? It should be hung over your bedroom dresser. Thanks. Oh, don't call the house again. Wait! The woman hangs up, and after a brief moment of self-reflection, opens the drapes, peering out at the road in front of the house. Still a little drowsy, she turns the TV off with the remote balanced on the arm of the couch and collects two empty wine glasses from the floor at her feet, placing them down on the side table next to a framed photograph. She switches on a table lamp, illuminating a picture of the woman and a young Sydney Prescott. The woman reaches the top of the staircase, turning sharply across the landing and into a large bedroom. She reaches for a brown leather coat tossed carelessly over the dresser, most likely in the heat of passion, made evident by further strewn clothes on the bedroom floor and fallen ornaments. Another portable landline phone rings on a table next to an unmade bed draped in outdated floral pattern bedsheets. She contemplates for a second and leaves the coat where it is and goes for the phone. Hello, Prescott residence. Oh. Did you say Prescott? Yes, that's right. My mistake. I must have dialed the wrong number. Oh. Well, that's okay. Take care. If you don't mind me saying so, miss. You sound a little troubled. Is everything all right? Yeah, I, I, I just thought you were someone else. Oh, I'm sorry. I gotta say, you have a really pretty voice. Goodness. Thank you. You must get told that all the time. Mrs. Prescott looks out of the bedroom window at a passing vehicle. That's kind of you to say. Um, I'm sorry, I have to go. My daughter will be home from school soon. You can't be old enough to have a daughter. No way. It's true. She'll be uh, 17 this month. Now I know you're lying. You're very sweet. <laughs> a little late for school. Oh, drama club. <laughs> like mother, like daughter. I'm sorry? It was a question. No, I wouldn't say so. You look far too young to be a mom. Excuse me? I said, you sound far too young to be a mom. What's your name? I have to go. It, it, it was nice talking to you. Bye now. Hey, wait a sec. Mrs. Prescott hangs up and places the phone down on the cradle when... Hello? Hello? Is this the Reynolds residence? No, it's not. You, you just called here. Did I? The lady with the pretty voice. You did. Who did you say you were looking for? You know what? Never mind. Sorry to trouble you again. 
Mrs. Prescott. The phone dies. Mrs. Prescott dials a short number into the receiver to be greeted by the withheld number tone. Looking troubled, Mrs. Prescott hangs up and leaves the bedroom, walking past the coat that she's forgotten to pick up. She enters her daughter's bedroom, noticeably neater and conservative than the average teenage girl's bedroom. She catches sight of her makeup-smeared reflection in Sydney's vanity table mirror. She caresses the pearl necklace she notices she's still wearing, and her shame-filled eyes begin to water. We watch her from outside Sydney's window as she sits down in front of the mirror and wipes her face clean. Having removed the smeared makeup from her face, Mrs. Prescott sets a kettle down on an electrical stove burner in an open-plan kitchen and walks into the living room, past a display of family photographs on the refrigerator door. She kneels on the couch, resting her elbows on the back, staring out of the window at the road again, deep in thought. Her eyes dart down beside her toward a small blinking red light. The phone cradle on the side table flashes one unheard voicemail. Mrs. Prescott silently debates before reaching down to press play when... Hello? Did I dial the wrong number again? Who is this? I'm sorry. I can't seem to get your pretty voice out of my head. Tell me who you are. Just a big fan. I'm calling the police. You don't want to do that. No? Watch me. I would, but I've got my eyes on someone else right now. She's very pretty, Mrs. Prescott. The spitting image of her mother! A stranger's POV watches the back of a dark-haired teen girl walking next to a blonde of a similar height and age down a suburban street toward a parked red beetle. Both girls have school bags swung over their shoulder. You know a lot about scary movies. Don't you, Mrs. Prescott? What? You should. You were in three of them. Scary might be pushing it a little. I... I, I wasn't. You're, you're looking for someone else. Am I? You leave my daughter alone, you hear? How about we play a game? I ask a question, and if you get it right, then I will. And if you don't, then I won't. We hear teens' laughter in the background of the phone call. And I swear to God. Name three horror pictures produced by Sunrise Studios starring the late but unforgettable Rena Reynolds. Why are you doing this? Sydney's counting on you, Mrs. Prescott. Fine. Uh, uh, space Psycho, Emma Zombies, um, uh, Creatures from the, the San Andreas Fault. Very good. Follow-up question. No, enough. You've made your point. Leave my daughter alone. Maybe you daughter would like to know why her mother has such extensive horror movie knowledge. Listen to me, you little shit. You go near my daughter and I will gut you like a fish. You hear me? Mrs. Prescott, so vulgar. You've got a very serial mom thing going on. I like it. I'm sure Sydney would be proud to know of her mother's work. It's a step up from the whore she's become. I wonder what else will be exposed when she learns about Mommy's true Hollywood story. Mrs. Prescott hangs up. She dials 911 into the receiver, but only contemplates pressing the call button. Hang up on me again. I dare you. Okay, what do you want? I'm planning a movie of my own. 
I think it's time for your comeback, don't you? What are you asking? If you don't mind me saying so, you're aging rather prematurely. You might not get another opportunity like this again. It worked for Kathy Bates. Think of this as your misery. You want me in your movie? Don't get so ahead of yourself. Your ingenue days are well and truly over. For one, you're not the spring virgin you used to be, are you? Your daughter, however, she'd make a great final girl. Only trouble is, her backstory isn't very compelling. How are the audience supposed to root for the girl who has everything? That's where you come in. Mrs. Prescott watches a neighbor walk their dog past her house, a cell phone held to their ear. Think of yourself as merely a reference. Maybe if you're lucky, you'll get the prequel treatment. She walks nervously into the entrance hall and locks, chains, and bolts the door. What are you getting at? Spit it out! A final girl needs issues. And what better way to build character than arriving home from school to find your mother's mutilated corpse? A ghost face mask killer bursts out of the hall closet. <coughs> Mrs. Prescott screams as she spins, running through the living room, slamming the door behind her before Ghostface reaches it. She dives down behind the breakfast bar when faint screams build from the other side of the kitchen. She pokes her head around the side of the bar to see the kettle reach its boil and black boots enter the living room. With the phone still gripped tightly in her hand, Mrs. Prescott shakily dials 911, but before she calls out, a gloved hand reaches for the cradle on the side table and delicately presses the handset button. The receiver in Mrs. Prescott's hand begins to ring, disclosing her hiding place. The cold steel of a hunting knife scrapes along the marble surface of the kitchen worktop, taunting her. She rises behind the bar, staring ahead at the ghost face mask killer, his knife pointed at her. Why are you doing this? Ghostface tilts his head in response. Mrs. Prescott charges towards the stove as Ghostface lunges forward. She grabs hold of the screeching kettle, tears the lid off, and hurls the boiling water, missing Ghostface as he swerves, dropping his knife. Mrs. Prescott uses the gap between them to make her escape out of the kitchen doorway. But Ghostface quickly rises and grabs her by the back of her neck, tearing off her necklace. The pearls scatter everywhere. Grabbing her again, Ghostface gets a tighter grip of her hair and bashes her skull against the refrigerator door. A picture of Sydney falls to the floor. Ghostface then swings Mrs. Prescott around, her body crashing into the cooker, arched forward over the burning stove. Ghostface holds her by the side of her head, forcing her face closer to the burner. Her eyes dart in all directions as smoke rises from the ring. She tries to push back, but Ghostface is stronger. She screams madly while her hands search the counter surface for something to aid her, knocking over a kitchen knife wedged into a wooden block. The handle is just out of reach. No other option, Mrs. Prescott weakens her fight, letting Ghostface press her cheek against the burner. She now has enough reach to grab the handle. In a swift flash, Mrs. Prescott grabs the knife and swings the blade down, cutting deep into Ghostface's leg. His knees buckle. Mrs. Prescott races out of the kitchen into the entrance hall. Ghostface grabs his knife and follows. Mrs. Prescott moves for the front door. 
unlocks it, pulls on it for it to catch on the chain. She pushes the door closed to release the chain, looking behind her as Ghostface charges at her, knife in hand. She ducks as the blade meets the door and runs up the staircase, Ghostface hot on her heels. Using the banister to propel herself forward, she almost makes it to the landing when Ghostface grabs her ankle, bringing her down, her head smashing against the hard corner of the top step. Dazed, Ghostface is on top of her, her eyes barely open, look up to see a blurred chalk white mask sporting a permanent screen. Please don't hurt my daughter. He begins to seductively stroke the hair out of her face with a pointed tip, playing with her. Don't do this! I'm pregnant! After a moment, Ghostface puts the knife down and rises off of her. Mrs. Prescott quickly comes to, realizing he's sparing her. She struggles to her feet as Ghostface steps back, letting her go. She limps backward and turns sharply into her bedroom, stumbling into the blade of another Ghostface's knife. Her face motionless. She looks down at her stomach as Ghostface number two yanks his knife back. From outside the Prescott residence, a red beetle pulls up, obscuring our view of the house. Mrs. Prescott lies on the bedroom floor, next to the phone receiver, drenched in her own blood. Her eyes open, staring sightlessly at the ceiling. A gloved hand slips through the sleeve of a now blood-splattered leather coat. Through the living room window, a familiar dark-haired teen steps out the red beetle and walks towards the house. 